Good morning to True Worth. Good morning online. Good morning to you in this sanctuary. Uh, so much gratitude for you joining us here this morning. There are a lot of great churches in the area. I mean, there are so many. And we're just humbled uh, that you would choose us and allow us to be a part of your life, you know, in this way. Uh, wherever you are, up in your track and backside, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Sanctuary, there should be one there in the pew if you want one. Uh, if you're online, go get it. True Worth, you should have one there. We're going to Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke chapter 19. Uh, we'll get there shortly. Uh, it'll be a little bit, but if you want to find it, Luke 19, they're going to walk the aisles. Raise your hand. They'll, they'll hand the scriptures to you. This is our last week of the message series we are calling our crazy family. Let me kind of make that my crazy family. I don't know about your family, my crazy family. I know my, my family is crazy. And for the past five weeks, we've been trying to do something. Uh, we have been trying to build up sincerely the Pathway families. We have been trying to inspire you. Uh, we've been trying to encourage you. We've been trying to challenge you to help you to build the best marriages and the best families that you can so you can pass down the very best from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. So some of you can actually change the legacy of your family tree. Now this morning we're wrapping up this message series, but before we leave, there's a subject that we need to take a sobering look at because this is an issue that is destroying families. In fact, when you do the research, and it talks about things that the cause of divorce that leads to the destruction of the family, that this is in the top issue, if not the top issue, of all the research, and it has to do with the concept of money. More families argue about money than any other matter, all the research shows. And the research even shows the three top things that family argue the most about, and this is the very first thing in your message notes. I'm going to give you three of them, the top things that couples and families argue about money. And the first one is debt, that the more debt increases in a family, in a household, the pressure increases, tensions get shorter, and man, all sorts of bad stuff happens. Uh, how are we going to get out of it? Who's adding to it? What's going on with the debt issue? The second one is unexplained expenditures. Hey, honey, uh, we had this plan. We're getting out of debt. And did you go out? I mean, you, you didn't, did you? You did. You went out and bought that, didn't you? And boom, all of a sudden, wah, wah, you know, oh, I mean, you know what I'm talking about because you've done it. It's happened in your family. And boy, next thing you know, chaos is unleashed. And the third one is savings. Not having savings or not planning on savings, and it just creates all sorts of conflict. Now, this is an issue that is not just of families who live from week to week and month to month. This is across the board. You need to understand this. Uh, back uh, nine years ago, maybe almost 10 years ago, at the end of the Great Recession, a couple that I know pretty well uh, contacted me and they said, Pastor, uh, we need some help. We're having this conflict in our marriage. Uh, can you help us resolve it? And I said, oh, okay, we'll see what we can do. So they came to my office, and it was over money. And during the recession, they had made some decisions. She had, he had some things that transpired where their net worth had decreased 20% in a short period of time and went from $20 million to $15 million, just like that. And they're about to kill each other. I mean, they're at each other's throats. 
they have these accusations. They're making these threats of, I'm going to do this, and you're blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there listening to all that, and I'm thinking, uh, I think Dallas and I could be okay on the $15 million. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think we could. But the point was, it's about to kill them. It was really destroying their relationship. Now, it goes to the other opposite in the spectrum. It's everyone. I'm busy with a couple doing premarital counseling. They've both been married before. And part of their divorce calls for both of them had to do with money, the reconciliation, how they manage their money. And they wanted to get it right. They said, Pastor, would you help us? And so they both brought in their, how their budgets, their, their savings account, how they spent money, how they saved money, all that sort of thing. So I'm looking at it. And I noticed when I'm looking at the woman's that she spent 33% of her monthly income on beauty products. And that kind of jumped out at me. It's kind of, oh, you know, huh, maybe. I, so I thought, maybe I should bring that up when we get together. Boy, was that a bad idea. <laughs> that was just not a good thing, but I did. I thought it needed to be brought up, so, so, I, so I brought it up. And after she heard that, she said, uh, Pastor, I would rather be bankrupt and beautiful than balance my budget and be ugly. <laughs> I said, oh. So I turned to the guy and said, you got anything to say? Nope. <laughs> Wise man. I'm just saying, that money, it's a very sensitive issue. It has a lot of personal stuff to it. People kind of get a, up and out. You start talking about someone's money, they get, ah, you know. We all have different thoughts about money, different feelings, different approaches to money. Some of you here in the house, you're very miserly about your money. You just are. Some of you are fixated on money. You're just fixated. That's the goal. It's all about the money, money, money. Uh, some of you are very careless. You're just kind of carefree and have no sort of thought or thinking about it at all. Some of you, the minute you get some, you got to prove to somebody that you have it. And you just got to demonstrate, oh, yeah, we got a little money, you know, you, to, you use it in that way. Some of you, uh, you spend it all right now without any thought to the future. And some of you, all you think about the future and you don't even enjoy it right now. So we're all over the map on this issue. Highly volatile highly sensitive in families really causes lots of problems. Uh, I was visiting with some men doing some research about this thing, trying to learn a little bit more, doing my off-site research past few weeks, some guys that I know, guys that I work at the gym with, all successful, doing pretty good in their life, in their works, bound, no, nothing's in really problems with their, with their finances. And I say, tell me, what is your weak spot? I know you have a weak spot. You know, what, what, if you're tempted to go spend your money on something, what would it be? Oh, they all were all over the map. Hey, Rick, uh, anytime I look at a fishing magazine, I always wind up buying something. You know, I got fishing lures and tackle and stuff I'll never use, but I, I just, I just, it's kind of a weakness of mine. Another guy, uh, camera equipment. Uh, uh, just buys all sorts of camera equipment. Uh, another guy was workout and fitness stuff. I, I go on and on and on and on. And, and we all have it, right? We all have this little thing in our life that we're kind of tempted to break the code or break the agreement. Now, what's the point of all this? We're all raised in different families. And you were ingrained about finances in the family you were raised in. This is the way you do it. This is how you do it. This is when you do it. And then when you put two people together in a marriage... And we say, you figure it out to do it together. 
And then you add two or three kids to the mix who eventually think because their names, they share your last name, that they're entitled to dividend checks from the parents <laughs> on a regular basis. You know what I'm talking about. And then some of them even think they're entitled to their inheritance before you die. You can see how there can be stress and all sorts of conflict in the family over this subject. And then when you add our culture to the mix, our culture, oh, you deserve this. Oh, treat yourself. You deserve that. And you buy in to what the culture says. You deserve it. Again, it just complicates the whole situation. So I've been praying voraciously about this weekend. I mean, I really have. Asking God, God, how can I best serve these people that I love on this very sensitive subject that gets people kind of antsy? How can I do that? Uh, because, God, you know I love them. And I, how can I do so? I, so I'm thinking, and God kind of brings it. Well, may, maybe you should do uh, put on your counselor hat. Because some folks just need some encouragement, kind of help them kind of be emotionally okay. And no, I said, no, that, that's not it. And, oh, may, maybe I should put on uh, my leader hat. And I've done that before, many times with you, where I've given you a, a leader, here's a strategy, do this strategy, this simple plan, you follow this plan, stop bickering about the money, and unite around a plan. And I said, I've done that before. In fact, I, I just want to take a moment to share with you what I've shared with you before, because some of you may not have been here when we did this, but this is really not where we're going to spend our time, Okay. Now, here, here's a plan, a simple plan in your notes there, number two there. If you want to do this, you can. But I'm, I'm going to lay out for you a plan, a strategy that you can unite around your family. And it's very simple. It's 10, 10, some of you know this, 10, 10, 80. Very simple plan. Just unite around this. And the first 10%, first 10%, it is the tithe. It's what you give to God. The first 10%. When you read the Bible, is that you give it to God. Uh, it's called the tithe. It's biblical. It's in the Old Testament. And it's in the New Testament. And when you do that as a part of your plan, what you're saying is, God, I'm going to honor you. And I want to invite you into this mess that your supernatural power will be active in what I'm doing here. And I just, I just want to share this with you. The Bible's full of promises. And when you honor God in that way, God says, I'm going to get supernaturally involved in your situation, and I'm going to help you out. And some of you, you never claimed that promise. You never called God on the promise. He said, test me in this. And that's up to you. But man, if you do, it's amazing what God does. So that's the first 10% of the time. The second 10%, this seems kind of obvious to some of you. This is going to shock you how very few people do this. The second one is pay my family. Pay my family or pay myself. Pay myself. So with the first 10%, I don't care how large, how small the earnings, I'm just going to honor God with it. But the second 10%, I'm going to pay myself before anything. You would be amazed at the number of people who come into my office. 50, 60, 70 years of age, and they have zero savings. Zero. I'm talking about they have no retirement plan. They've got nothing. And there are some of you here in this room. You got nothing. And you're not planning on anything. I mean, I sit down with folks and I say, listen, 
Man, when you were making all that money and you were young and you were working, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, did it ever cross your mind? Did it ever cross your mind to save anything ever? And somebody goes, no, no, I guess not. Listen, church, above everything in your finances, honor God first, but for heaven's sake, pay yourself second. Save, 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 save. Have a plan of college for your kids. Have an emergency plan. Take out a retirement, 401k. Do something. Don't set yourself up for financial hell because you don't save. And then 8% is what you live on. You live on. Now, this plan right here has saved marriages. This plan right here, it's, it's saved marriages. Uh, it's saved families. And maybe your plan doesn't exactly look exactly like this. Make sure you honor God first, whatever you do. But these percentages can change. But whatever on this last one, you do not spend more than you make. Live within your means. That means you buy a car not to show how sexy you are, how classy you are. You buy a car to get you from A to B. It's not to impress people. You buy a house that you can afford. Not one that's going to cause you to put your kids up for collateral. <laughs> mortgage away their college future because you had to live in some opulence today so they live in poverty tomorrow. No. Live within your means. It's biblical. It's throughout the scriptures. And my first thought was, okay, God, I need to spend my whole time on this content right here. And God said, no, Rick, you don't need to do that. Because your church is providing these two classes. They're right around the corner. We've got two classes. We're going to put them on the screen. One of them is called Financial Peace University. Some of you have heard of it. Another one's called Money Matters. Right here in your church. And these are classes that you can take right here in your church to teach you and give you principles and a plan that you can put into place in your household to get out of debt, to prepare for your kid's college, uh, for whatever you need to help reconcile issues in your marriage and your relationship, but you got to take the class. As soon as you walk out these doors, you go to the left on this big old wall right there, going to be all these resources, and right there next to it, so there's people there to answer the question, any questions you have about this class. To kind of get you, okay, it's coming up in March. Do I, maybe that's for me. Maybe that's for me. Maybe that's for me. Okay? So, 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 Rick, you don't need to do that. He said, I want you to put on your pastor teacher hat. So that's what I'm going to do here in our remaining time that we have together. I'm going to put on my pastor's teacher hat, and I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to pull two or three things out of this. And then we're going to do something we've not done around here in a while. We had planned on having communion this weekend. To finish up this series, you'll notice the table does not have the elements. Because last Monday, the Lord convicted me very strongly. You need to end this time, create some space for me to do some work. For six weeks, I've been teaching. It's time for you to get out of the way and just let me do some stuff. So we're going to create some space here, get some time at the end of this uh, for God to do some work and... We'll, we'll see what happens when we get there, and I trust that that will happen. So let me read to you. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It'll be on the screen. 
It says Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this. They began to mutter, I mean, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, some of you have heard this passage many times. For some, this is the first. But I wonder if you've noticed this one key verse. Right there in verse 3, it says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. That's the first thing you put in your notes there. Zacchaeus wanted to check out Jesus. He wanted to check out Jesus. Uh, he wanted to see what he was about. He said, no, maybe, he, maybe this guy's a miracle worker. Maybe he heard he was a great teacher. Uh, maybe Zacchaeus, he had this ache in his soul. He, he thought, you know what? I, I feel guilty about all this money that I made because I made it in a bad way. Or, or maybe the excitement of all the money lost its buzz. Or maybe he and his wife were having an argument. We don't know. But something happened. He said, I got to go. I want to see who Jesus is. He heard about him. I want to go check him out. And then he did the second thing. The second thing is, in your notes, he took an action step. So in the scriptures we learn that he has this kind of ache. I want to check him out. And he made his way through the crowd in verse 4, and he climbed the sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. Nothing was going to keep him from having an encounter with Jesus. Now I want to take a little time out here. Uh, there's somebody watching online. Uh, there's somebody at True Worth. There's somebody here in this Rivian Sanctuary. You're here this morning, and you really don't know why you're here. In fact, I can tell the way some of you are looking at me right now, right? A couple of you are. Uh, you're going, man, I don't even like church. I'm trying to pretend, uh, but I really don't. How did I get here this morning? How did I get around all these, these church people? And I'm going to suggest, could it be just maybe, even somebody just watching online, just kind of stumbled upon this, is that could it be maybe you're like Zacchaeus and subconsciously? Subconsciously, you really do want to check Jesus out? That maybe down deep you're hoping that he really is who everybody says that he is? And if that's you and you're here, I want to applaud you. I want to cheer you because you came even though you didn't want to and even though you feel like you should, you came. And I just want to say, good for you, because so many people have an ache, and they don't do anything about it, but you did. You took an action step, just like Zacchaeus. You're here. You're watching online. You're in the sanctuary. You're a true word. You're here. And I want to encourage you to take one more little step. Let's get you a Bible. Take one of the Bibles we have here. Take it home with you. You can't afford it. Take it home and just be in this Bible five minutes every day. Just in this little book. Five. It's amazing what will happen in your life just to learn the discipline of being in this book and just learning what it has to say. And maybe some of you have been coming for a while, and you go, you know what, I think it's time for me to be baptized. Or I need, I need to get more involved. So I just want to encourage you, take another step, and another step. Just take another step, and you can do that at our Next Steps area. That's why they're there for every weekend. There's somebody at that table.
just to have a conversation with you to help you take your next action step like Zacchaeus did. And then so he, ta he takes the step and he comes down because the Lord looked him right in the eye and he said, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you up there. I see you. You're checking me out. Hey, Zacchaeus was being checked out by Jesus and he could tell beneath the surface there's something going on within Zacchaeus. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to clear my schedule. I'm just taking my whole, why don't you come down from that tree? I'm going to come to your house and let's go have dinner. Really? Yeah. So Zacchaeus, see me down the tree. Kids, you start walking to his house, they're going to have dinner. And in the Middle East, when you had a dinner, it wasn't 30 minutes or it wasn't an hour. It was like two or three or four hours. And there was a lot of stuff that can happen in three or four hours when you're having a conversation with someone, especially when that person is Jesus. It's interesting, on the outside of the house, there's some people, hey, what are you doing in there, Jesus? Hey, he's with tax collectors. You're with sinners. How come I'm not in there? That's a whole other issue. We don't have time to go down that path. But inside the house, they were having a dinner. And while they were having a dinner, something very powerful happened. When I read the Bible, I have not seen this happen like it happens here in this story. Some of you may prove me wrong, but I've only found it happen right here in this text where Zacchaeus experienced what I want to call a double conversion. In your notes, number three, he had a spiritual and a financial conversion all at the same time. In verse 9 it says, Jesus said to him, hey, today salvation's come to this house. The Son of Man, he came to seek and save the lost. So we know he had a spiritual conversion. But in verse 8 it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look now, I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. I, I just am. So both of them happened. Now I want to pull back the curtain and look at this in a little bit deeper. And I'm going to... Draw this in such a way you should be able to see this on the screens. If you're watching online or in the ark, I mean, the sanctuary should be all be able to clear. But there's room there at the bottom of your notes if you want to participate in this. Zacchaeus, he's living his life. He feels this little ache, something going on in his soul. And Zacchaeus here decides he wants to check out Jesus. So he climbs a tree. And he climbs this tree. And up top of this tree, Jesus locks eyes with him, and he has what I want to call, as he go to have the dinner with him, a salvation experience, a born-again experience. You can call it the redemptive work of God experience. You can give any theological name you want to call it. But primarily, he came face-to-face -face with Jesus, and it changed his life. He repented of his sins, and I'm going to put an S right here, is that Zacchaeus experienced Forgiveness of his sins. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. He says, I love you. You repent. You come to me. I forgive you. But that's not the only thing that happened. I'm going to put a dollar sign right here on this side of the cross underneath. Because Zacchaeus also experienced a conversion in his money. That now Jesus is Lord over this area of my life. He has a financial conversion. Now, church, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years of age. This coming May, it will be 48 years since that occurred. And in those 48 years, I've seen a lot of people come to Jesus, come to faith. In worship, but also in one-on-one -on -one conversations, coffee, having times with them in their home in my office. 
And it's always interesting to me that this experience right here is always so different for people. It's always, it's not the same for everybody. Such as, there was a guy years ago, we used to have five softball teams in this church. And I will tell you, we were darn good, especially the men. And we had people wanting to play on our team because we were always winning the championship. We were competing <laughs> against each other at the end, often to win. So we had people wanting to come play for us. And we had this guy who wanted to come play for us. He was a good player. He didn't go to church anywhere. He said, you got to come to church. He said, okay. So he joined our team, and this guy was really good at softball, and he was really good at cussing. It was a spiritual gift. It just came natural. He would just open his mouth, and profanity would just come spewing out. I mean, he was good at it. That's where it was in his family and where he worked. It was just natural. <laughs> so after a game, we win a game. We're standing around there all talking, joking and everything. He started telling the story. And uh, he started saying it profanity-laced. And he would look at me, and I'm standing right there. He'd go, I probably shouldn't be saying that with you here. I said, no, you shouldn't be saying it at all. He said, oh, what the blank, blank, blank was I thinking? I went, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just so natural to him. And then he accepted Christ as his Savior. And I got to baptize him. And he had this salvation experience and forgiveness of his sins. And right here, instead of a dollar sign, I would put the letter P right here because the Holy Spirit convicted him that his mouth had to change. He had to change the way he talked. And the Holy Spirit began to work on him and the transforming of his language into a more godly, just a wholesome human being. And it took a while. It didn't happen overnight. But that was his experience. I can tell you of uh, more than one married couple where they're just, they're just eating each other up in their marriage. I mean, just bickering and just critical and just pushing their thumb and negative, all that sort of stuff. And one of them comes to Christ. I mean, they have an authentic, genuine experience of Jesus Christ. And they wake up and go, whoa, honey, really, I cannot believe I've been treating you that way. I cannot believe I've said those things to you. And, uh, and you stayed. I see you to tell you, I'm sorry. Now, will you forgive me? And the husband or the wife will take the hand of their spouse, and together they were reconciled. And man, their marriage was better and stronger than ever. But it began because one of them had an experience with Jesus Christ, and it changed how they, they treated and loved one another in their relationship. I, I, can, I know of a guy that he, he introduced pornography into his marriage, hoping that would increase the spice in their sex life. And then he comes to know Christ. And he says, oh, honey, I am so sorry I brought that into our house. Uh, that's not good for you. It's not good for us, man. And we're getting rid of all that. And we're getting on a, on a better, healthier path. And thank you for forgiving me. And da 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 Church, I could go on and 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 on. But when you say yes to Jesus Christ, and you get serious about a relationship with Jesus, something doesn't just happen here in the forgiveness of your sins. There's another transformation that happens over here. I just wonder if I got a microphone and I passed it around this room up there on the track, True Worth, you could do it. You could speak into it online on Facebook and even in the sanctuary. If I gave you a microphone, how many of you could say, man, yeah, I had that encounter with Christ and, and finally I had this wake-up call and this was the first thing that changed in me. What would it be? For Zacchaeus, it was that right there, and it changed his heart. 
When you have this experience with Jesus Christ, there's something that changes in your heart, and life is different because of your relationship with Jesus. Now, hold right there. We're going to come back to this. If you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you're not done with Jesus. There's one salvation, but there's many conversions. Let me repeat that. There's one salvation, but there's many conversions. Such as, over the course of your time, there's going to be many encounters that you have with Jesus himself that's going to create a radical movement of your growth, this direction of becoming more Christ-centered. I'll give you an example. I turned 16. I give my life to Jesus. And at that time, I'm kind of cynical about the church because I saw the church full of religious people, but I didn't see a lot of Jesus. And I heard people say the church is the hope of the world. And I'm going, no, 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 the church is not the hope of the world because I don't see the church really being the church. Jesus is the hope of the world. Not the church because I thought the church, man, it's going to hell in a handbasket. A bunch of religious people and there's no Jesus. So I was kind of cynical and negative in some ways about the church. And then God convicted me right here in a very powerful way. He said, Rick, you're right. The church is struggling. The church doesn't get it. And there's a lot of churches that some have so much about religion, and it's not about Jesus. But I'm telling you, the church is the way I'm going to make the world know about Jesus. The government can't do it. The government can't solve that ache in a person's soul. Small businesses can't do it. There's no product a business will create that will reconcile a marriage. It will not exist. Teachers, philosophers, great doctors and academicians, and philosoph- no, there's no truth they're going to teach that's going to satisfy the emptiness in the human soul. The church has the message that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And I want you to last hold of a church and to create a culture that continually changes over time to stay relevant and matters that brings Jesus, the truth of him, into people's lives. And I said, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Man, that was my conversion experience. I mean, a powerful thing in my life. And I gave my life. And so, man, in the very beginning here, when there were 30 or 40 people who just worshiping, I was working seven days a week, seven nights a week, uh, going to seminary full-time. Because, man, I, I bought in. It changed my whole perspective about things. And then I had another conversion experience. And it happened right here with Jesus. And my wife was Jesus. And my wife came to me and said, you know what? You're a great pastor, but you're not a very good husband. I'm just kind of reducing it down to the truth of what, how it kind of came down. And man, Jesus really got a hold of me. He said, you know what, Rick? Your number one witness is how you treat your wife and how you love her and how you show up to be a dad for your kids. And I don't care what you do in my church. If that's not right, the church doesn't matter. Your witness is how you live your life for Jesus as a husband, as a dad, and now as a papa. He said, wow. So I began to change how I function and how I work around here. And the things I don't do and the things I do do and the staff we hire and the boundaries I've set to not be Jesus to everybody. I let Jesus be Jesus and I just be the pastor. But most of all, I'm a, da- I'm a husband. And I'm a dad. And I'm a papa. And that's, that's my witness. And man, that was, that was a wake-up call for me. And then I had a wake-up call right here, a conversion experience for the poor. I thought I was raised poor. 
until God allowed me to travel and to see really people that were really poor. Church, sometimes, until you smell it, until you see it, until you touch it, you don't know what poor is. There's a poor you've never known. And when I saw that, it so convicted my heart that I came back here to this church and we started doing birthday gift to Jesus. And boy, has it totally changed the culture of this church and changed the lives when we get that God has a heart for the poor. That was gonna, and then it was racial reconciliation. I mean, I had another, I mean, just another conversation with Christ. We convicted my heart. You know what, Rick? All white is not right. It's just not. And Sunday morning is the most segregated morning, and so it's not okay. And I want you to build a church and have a church where people of all color and all races and all ethnicities are welcome. Everybody is welcome. Democrat, Republican, Tea Party, you name it. Far left, far right, we're here to build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of America. The kingdom of God. And that means all my people are welcome to come reconcile at the cross. Man, that really got a hold of me. And as long as I'm senior pastor here, everybody will be welcome from all walks of life. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I could go on and on and on here. Let me stop. I, I did have one more I got to share. Seven years ago, I'm teaching just like this. I'm teaching. And the Holy Spirit hit me right between the eyes. And it said, what are you doing about preparing the next generation of leaders in the church? And I thought, huh. And so I said, here's what we're going to do. This Tuesday night, anybody that's 40 and under and married, you're welcome to come to my house on Tuesday night. I hadn't even told my wife yet. <laughs> I didn't think that through really well. <laughs> but they showed up. Seven years later. We still have a group of small, a small group of young adults that come and meet to our house, and now it's almost on, it's on Wednesday nights. And Dallas and I just open the Word of God, and we just been pouring our lives into them and teaching, parenting, and marriages, and leadership and stuff. And today, over the course of seven years, there are people between the ages of 25 and 35 that become elders in your church, that become deacons in your church, that are leading ministries down the hallway, that are now on staff in your church, young adults growing up. Because of that conversion, you've got to spend time on developing young leaders. And it's changed the whole course of this church. Now, here's what I'm saying. If you don't have something, you can fill in the blank right here. I'm going to ask you to revisit your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you say yes to Jesus Christ, there's a change that begins to happen inside of you. We're told over in 2 Corinthians, anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So I'm telling you, what's new in your heart? What's new? Because you said yes to Jesus or you just play in church. And not only that, is there anything down here over the course of time? You know, has God continued to work in your life and new conversions and new growth and new things? Or do you have nothing right there? You just got nothing. The Holy Spirit of God is too powerful for you to have nothing. The Holy Spirit is always transforming you and me into the image of Jesus, and that means there's always change going on. So I just want to ask you again. Is the transforming work of God at work in your life where God is breaking your heart for stuff that you got to make stuff happen because God has convicted you? you got to help this change and that change and that change, whatever it is, or do you just have nothing?
Every single person who calls you your church home, you ought to be able to draw this. If somebody asks you about your faith, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Here's my faith story. Man, I had this encounter with Jesus Christ, and man, that changed everything about this, whatever this is. You fill in the blank. And then I had this experience, and that man, that experience, and man, I just, I, man, it's just been a blessing to my life. And, but if you got nothing, I just want to ask you to rethink where you are in your relationship with this guy named Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. Now, back to this thing right here. If you're somebody who struggles with money, the core issue, the core issue, if you struggle with debt, the core issue, if, if you're always overspending, always arguing about money, always arguing, the core issue, if you've not figured out what it is to honor God, the core issue is your finances have not yet been reconciled to God as the Lord over that part of your life. And that means you're still in charge. And if you're still in charge, you're calling the plays, you're calling the shots. And that's why you're in trouble. Because you're suffering the end result of your own free will instead of submitting lordship to God's plan. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to cause trouble. Sincerely, I love and care for you. I want what's best for you. I really, really do. And I'm just going to say, there's going to come a time for all of us where we're going to stand before God. The one who comes to set you free, he's going to say, hey, listen, uh, how, how'd you do with that money thing? You go, oh, my gosh, God, I was in bondage my whole life. And God's going to go, really? And you didn't have to be? Really? Your whole life, just financial chaos? Really? Or why would you want to pass on? You reproduce in your kids who you are. Why do you want your kids to continue to suffer the financial mess you have. Because if you don't get it right, your kids are going to practice the same thing you're doing. That's all I'm saying. Now, again, I want to make this very clear. I love you. And I'm so thankful that God allows me to serve in the role that God does as your senior pastor. I've been praying about the end of this message series for a long time. We're about to do something that we don't do very often around here. Uh, we're going to create some space just to let God work. I'm going to get out of the way. Just get out of the way. And just unleash the Spirit of God. Because there's some of you, I think, based on what we've done the past six weeks, maybe you have some business with God you need to attend to. Colossians 1.17, you remember it? He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. You can say it, or you can live it. So here's what we're about to do. In a moment, some of you are going to be invited and moved. Same way at True Worth, same way in the sanctuary, online. You can check in online if you're watching online. You're going to be invited to move to the front. True Lord Sanctuary for prayer, to be prayed over. He's going to come and stand up here, spread out all across this front. If it goes into the aisles, it goes into the aisles. That's okay. Just come and stand. We're going to worship and sing. Group together, we're going to pray. And here's how I'm going to bite up. If your marriage or your family is feeling pressure, and you know your family needs the supernatural power of God in your life right now, 
I'm going to invite you in a moment. When that time comes, just come up here and stand. And some of you know who you are. You know. And there's some of you are thinking, well, you know what? I, I know we need to do this, but my husband or my wife, they don't agree with me. And so they're never going to come down here with me. Then you come by yourself. You make a statement to your spouse. We need God in the middle of our family holding it together. You do it. Or maybe you're single. And you've been trying to find in a man or woman what only God can provide. Would you please stop that? Would you please stop it? Would you please get right with God yourself before you bring on your mess into another human being's life and get married and mess up their life? Maybe you need to cook. And cook right with you. Second group of people are people that are just here checking out Jesus. You're watching online, you're watching, you're just checking out. You don't even know why you're here. You don't even really believe that much. But this morning you're going, you know what? There's something inside of me and I'm hoping it's true. So what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Just come up here, stand with the group, kind of check out and just kind of allow to see what God can do. And here's the third group. The third group is those who have never reconciled their finances to God, to God be the Lord over it. There are some of you in this room, I could give you a budget, tell you do this, and you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it, even if I gave it to you. You know why? Because you've never let go of your greed or you being in charge of what you want, what you think is right. Because you've not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and that bondage being broken. And you never even honor God at all with the tithe and have no heart for the poor. But today you could say, you know what? I want to get that right. I want to begin the journey. Just go up here and stand. And we're going to pray. Now I know what's happening right now. There's somebody going, you know what? I'm not doing it. I am constitutionally against anything like this. My seatbelt is fastened. I'm not going anywhere. Okay. That's okay. You can stay there. That's okay. But the Spirit of God prompts you. Sanctuary. True Earth. Online. Ark. I'm going to ask you. Let everybody stand. Let everybody stand. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're all going to sing. If you're not going to come, I'm going to ask you to sing. Just sing. Come to the altar. Just sing. And you come forward and fill this place up as you're led. Just sing.
this be too crowded. You come. Sanctuary, you move to the front. Online, check in with us. Don't miss this moment. There's a movement of the Spirit of God. Families can be changed and transformed forever for decisions being made, for reconnecting with Christ. There's somebody sitting out here. You still need to come. After the last worship time, I had a couple tell me, Pastor, this week we were thinking about filing. But this morning, during the time of prayer, we were convicted. We got to stick it out. So there maybe there's somebody else. You're just kind of still kind of hesitant. This is the morning. Now's the time. And we're just going to continue singing a little bit more. Then we're going to pray over everybody down here. You have time to respond. Just continue to worship the Lord, making room for Him to work. Let Him move. Let Him work. Let's lift our voices together. Sing that out. Not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here? 
experience healing in our families, in our marriage, in our finances. It's recognizing that we're not enough on our own. Making Him the Lord of our lives. Amen. Let's sing this together as I walk. As I walk now through the valleys God. Let your love rise above and Like the sun shaping shadow In my weakness your glory appears Right here in True Worth in the sanctuary Come on with everything you've got Lift your voice and sing Oh, not enough Bless you come Will you meet me here again? God, meet us with your heat family's got it's all I want it's all you are will you meet me here again God meet us where we are with our finances Lord right now people of a symbol they have moved they've taken a step towards you they've asked you God to meet them in the middle that in you in Christ all things can hold together even their marriage even their crazy family so God now we're just going to ask you to do some stuff God I'm going to ask you to show up in some of these families God you tell us in your word that you're going to show up and you tell us that men the most important thing a man can do is to show up so God, it is you ask husbands to show up and dads to show up. I'm asking you to show up in these families, show up in these marriages. That when they leave this place, God, they will know they have been in your presence. That hand in hand, heart to heart, nothing can separate them till death they do part. Nothing in this world. The enemy cannot have their marriages or have their families, God. We declare this in Jesus' name. God, all these individuals who are here this morning, they don't even know why they're here. They don't even know why they're watching online or why they're at True Worth. They just got this little ache in their soul, and they're, and they're hoping, God, you really are who you say you are. God, I ask you to go have some dinner with them. Just go spend some time with them like you did with Zacchaeus, and just kind of linger there with them. Find a quiet place in bed early at night, late at night, or early in the morning, God. Or maybe at work, just take them away from lunch and just, God, reveal yourself to them. And after this morning is over, God, and you just continue to kind of tug on them and just kind of move them. Let them know how much you love them. You want to be in a relationship with them, God. And some here, God, might be the first time maybe repenting of their sins. And they're saying, you know what, Jesus, I need you as the Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to come in. And, God, I ask you to hear their prayer. God, we've got some folks here that are financial bondage. I mean, you know the stories, God. 
You know the arguments. You know the debt. You know the practice and habits in their home. And it's destroying their family. No hope for their kids or their future. And God, there are some here today that are saying, God, we want you to be Lord. You to be Lord over this stuff. So I ask you to supernaturally get involved in it, God. And reveal to them a plan. Thank you, grab hold of Take them to these classes, God. Stir their hearts and give them a mental plan they can embrace in their whole body, mind, and soul. And set these families free in the name of Jesus Christ from the bondage of hell, of financial bond. God, I ask you to do this and all this in Jesus' name. Be in the middle of it all, God, because in Christ all things hold together. Amen, amen, amen. Let us worship Him, church. Let us worship Him. Come on, let's sing this together. Lift your voices. Know that He has not forsaken you. Come on, sing it out. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Oh, going to ask you to act, act on whatever's happened here among any of you. Act. Take another step. Take the class. Go out to the fountain. Somebody will pray with you personally, you and your family, if you need prayer. They'll just stop and they'll pray with you individually or your family. They'll do that. Same way in the sanctuary, same way at True Worth. They'll just pray with you online. We'll pray with you online. But just don't stop if you're not ready. You can, you can linger. And people kind of cover you. And then stop by the Next Steps area and say, okay, what do I do? And I promise you they're ready to help you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I just pray your crazy family uh, gets healthy. Amen? Amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Man, it's been a good morning. Good morning. Good morning.